You're listening to Differentiated with Ben Silverman, where investment research analysts dive into insider data and demystify the signals that drive one-of-a-kind investment ideas. Welcome to Differentiated. I'm your host, Ben Silverman. When we think about the concept of an investment mosaic, we're thinking about combining disparate details to form a big picture. Those details could be fundamental data. It could be what's known as alternative data these days. It could also include this data that's out there on the edges. That's the data that I think is some of the most important because it's quite often ignored. That data includes insider transactions, includes company buyback executions, not just the announcement of the buyback plan. It includes management changes. It includes unusual stock-based compensation And in some cases, it's going to include institutional flows as well. Here to discuss these ideas with me are two senior research analysts from Verity Data, buyback expert Ali Raja and stock-based compensation and insider expert Max McGee. Ali, when we think about buybacks as a function of management action, what are we thinking about? What are the drivers for buybacks? Why uh, board would approve a buyback plan and why a management team would want a buyback plan? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that companies do buyback plans. I mean, it could be optimizing their cash balances and leverage ratios, but you know, we're primarily focused on companies who are sending valuation signals through their buyback plans and their execution of those plans. I know one company we get a lot of questions about is Apple, and Apple's buyback is pretty extreme. They, every quarter are the largest repurchaser of shares of any U.S. company. And the buyback for investors has become sort of a given. But we still get a lot of questions about it, especially from the media, because they're sort of gaudy numbers. Why is Apple's buyback plan not as important as, you know, a company that is a less frequent repurchaser? Yeah, I mean, Apple is in the market every quarter. They're not valuation-based in the sense they don't really uh, fluctuate the pace of their buyback, their cadence, based on the stock price. They're going to be in the stock every quarter, and that's just their approach to it. For them, it's about returning capital to shareholders and less about the returns on capital. And so when you compare to other companies, I mean, you know, companies out there, they might be infrequently buying back, and that's, you know, gives them more of an opportunity to pick their prices a bit better as opposed to being in the market every quarter. And so that can help companies be more timely with their buyback programs. So companies that repurchase stock infrequently are sort of what we're looking for. Is there research that backs this up? Yeah, a couple of professors out of Michigan, Ross School of Business, published some research looking at companies who are frequently or infrequently buying back their stock. And they actually found that companies who are infrequently buying back shares were significantly more timely than those who were frequently in the market for their shares. Which makes sense because that's an expression of opportunism. If it's not something you're doing constantly, then it is potentially something you're trying to do opportunistically. Which makes sense because if we look at executives deploying cash on behalf of shareholders and then deploying their own cash into the stock, both things are, you know, potentially infrequent. So what happens when we see companies with buybacks that are infrequent or Maybe it doesn't have to be infrequent. Maybe they're buying back stock regularly, but they are being valuation-oriented by accelerating buybacks on weakness. Do we see examples out there where we also see support from the management team themselves where they're out buying the stock in, you know, as the company itself is buying back stock? 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, building on this academic study, as I just mentioned from the uh, University of Michigan, one of the other topics they discussed was looking at situations where insider buying was happening at the same time. And it actually showed that management teams were, their timeliness was being amplified when management was buying at the same time. And so, you know, a good example of that, uh, a company that we looked at in 2022 was Tenant Health, Tenant Healthcare. This is a situation where this company is not in the market frequently. They uh, adopted their first buyback program in 2022 for the first time in seven years. And they were in the market immediately that quarter. And at the same time, their CFO bought stock on his own behalf at the same time as well. And he had, you know, bought stock in 2020 as well. So three years for him almost. And this was a situation where the company uh, was quite timely with their buyback program in 2022, and, and they actually eased up the pace and decelerated in 2023 as the stock uh, recovered quite a bit. So most of their buyback ended up happening last year at about $42, $43. And this is a stock now that trades uh, above 70. So a, a good case right there of showing that that alignment can be quite uh, meaningful and powerful. So that's interesting, Ali. One of the other things I looked at with Tenant was the institutional flows there. And, you know, this is what what are the hedge funds and other institutional investors doing? And what I saw was that in Q4 22, as the CFO was buying stock, as the company was aggressively buying back stock and the CFO, I mean, he's they're out there and they're talking about, uh, you know, the stock being undervalued at the time um, that there was, you know, a strong belief among, you know, fundamental hedge funds that the stock was undervalued. And we saw that with the institutional flows. We saw that as a number of hedge funds, which had not owned the stock previously, came in with new stakes and, you know, were attracted to the stock, presumably on the valuation and, you know, on this strong signaling from the management team, again, with their own money and with shareholder money. And, you know, that that's the kind of thing we look at when, you know, we talk about building, you know, a mosaic of information to help decision-making. You know, again, you, you can look at all the fundamental data, data you want. You can look at the alternative data. There's still other things out there that are going to help you. And these things on the edges, these management actions that are, again, quite often ignored. We, we've talked in prior podcasts and we, and we talk about this with our clients all the time. I talk about it in the media all the time. So often investors ignore buyback executions. They focus on the initiation when a company announces a plan instead of focusing on the company actually repurchasing shares. And again, it's management words, the buyback initiation versus management actions, which is the actual execution. There's another name that we were talking about uh, recently, Ali, installed building products. And this one was really interesting to me because I felt there was a clear line in the sand from a valuation perspective, you know, in terms of the stock price of what insiders were willing to do and also what management was willing to do with shareholders' cash. Yeah, I mean, so this is a situation where um, insider selling ceased in uh, 2022 and they drew a line in the sand at about $100 or a little bit more than that. And this was, you know, interesting to see visually because you have a situation where the stock's bouncing around a lot that year. At the same time, the management team was sending a similar valuation signal with the buyback where they were getting really active at $90 and under. And so, you know, those two kind of confirmed where, where management was, uh, where they saw value in the stock. What's interesting is, at least as of early August, you know, that stock's over $150. And the company hasn't been buying back shares this year. So, and, you know, which is, again, it doesn't mean that the stock is overvalued or, or even fair valued. It just means that when a management is going to deploy the, the 
cash for buybacks. They're going to do so, you know, when they just feel that the stock is, you know, really undervalued. And they, and they did so very smartly in 2022. And then lastly, I wanted to, you to take a look at uh, one, one more name. And this one uh, had three factors, you know, coming into play here. And wh- which name was that? Uh, that's uh, Maximus, um, ticker MMS. This is a situation we had, you know, the buyback being one factor that ramped up and accelerated into uh, their, you know, lowest prices in 2022. And at the same time, this is a situation where we had insider buying going on at the same time in Q2. There's uh, multiple insiders buying. And then beyond that, this is a company where insider selling is the norm. And so what we look for is, you know, when does that insider selling stop? And so that is the third factor there going on where, you know, insiders cease at the same time as that buyback and insider buying to really, uh, you know, shift sentiment that management is showing right there. A triple uh, hit there on what we look for. We had the unusual insider buying, we had the lack of selling, which is a good thing, and then and the buyback. Thank you, Ali. Next up, I want to talk with Max McGee, our senior research analyst. And again, Max, as I had mentioned in the intro, one of his specialties is looking at unusual stock-based compensation. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting, one of the names that uh, he had uh, identified and had brought up. And uh, Max, uh, welcome to Differentiated. And why don't you talk about the stock that had some uh, interesting activity? Thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah, the name I'm going to talk about here, they're actually a bit unusual. Their business is Avocados. It's Calavo Growers, CVGW. And I'm highlighting them because they, at the beginning of this year in March, issued an unusual option award to their returning CEO. This is uh, CEO Liesl Cole, who had previously been CEO, left, and then they brought him back with the stock at Lowe's. And he, upon joining, rejoining the company, was awarded 500,000 options And in order for these options to vest, the stock has to hit thresholds of $50, $60, and $70 a share. Now, these options were handed out when the stock was trading around $24. So it's really interesting to get those price points as data points. And this activity was accompanied by Cole also purchasing roughly $5 million in stock. So, you know, that was probably on the radar of anybody following this company, those buys. But we also get the additional data point in there of these, you know, effectively price targets at which coal is highly incentivized. And and that's why there's, you know, when we look at stock-based compensation, it is unusual for there to be strike prices or for there to be vesting conditions for stock options that are aspirational. So, you know, the theory there is that this is a very big incentive to get that stock price moving because unless the manager, in this case, the CEO, you know, or the management team doesn't get that stock price moving, all that stock-based comp is going to be worthless. That's right. And I, I think what's interesting about looking at these unusual types of stock-based compensation is that they can actually dovetail really well with our other data sets. You had just spoken with Ali about how 
insider activity and buyback activity, they give you price signals to look at. At what price do insiders like to buy or sell? At what price does do certain companies like to accelerate their buybacks? Here, we're getting aspirational prices. What price targets does the board think is achievable for an insider in the near term when they're trying to incentivize that insider? Again, to use your words, Ben, you can put that all into the mosaic and have this array of prices that the company is signaling with these data sets. I'm going to throw this open to our, 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 our panel of two here. When we're thinking about uh, this investment mosaic idea, and we're thinking about, again, you know, what I like to call all this data and all these inputs out on the edges, what are the other things that we might be looking at and looking for? So, yeah, Ben, that brings to mind the recent 10B51 rule changes, which we've covered on uh, an earlier episode of Differentiated where you know, these new rules are going to give us a lot more visibility or are already giving us a lot more visibility into how 10B51 plans are constructed. Specifically, new disclosures in 10Qs, new plan adoption disclosures. They're requiring companies to disclose the number of shares that an insider intends to sell, as well as the duration of the plan. So we'll be able to see, does that plan get used fully or not? And perhaps make some inferences if there's a minimum sales price threshold baked into that plan that is causing the plan not to trigger, let's say. So all of these things, as we're looking at our various data sets on the Verity data platform, we're able to continually add these pricing data points to the mosaic. Another data set that's important to track is uh, management change. So an uh, example of that is Immunogen, uh, ticker IMGN, they recently announced that their chief medical officer left and it caught the market by surprise. They had just had a positive clinical trial data. And, and in the wake of that chief medical officer leaving, there was quite a bit of insider selling. There was uh, the CEO who had a, a unusually large sale. And in addition to that, we had seen 10B51 disclosures in the 10Q that were alerting us that there's likely going to be a lot more selling uh, coming up as well. And one of the interesting things about that was that the the CMO, who again was leaving, they disclosed that they you know really intended to sell most of their holdings, which is you know again interesting. But again, it, it's buried. It's not you know these aren't the things that companies put out press releases about, right? These are the kind of things that are buried disclosures within regulatory filings. We've over the years have spent a great amount of time trying to ferret out this stuff and surface these and database these. And it's sort of, uh, it's a great joy and it's a great pain point because the SEC doesn't often provide great regulatory clarity on how to disclose these. And, you know, one of, you know, one of the things I think all three of us really enjoy is being able to spot these things and, you know, again, put them in that investment mosaic. I want to thank my guests, Max McGee and Ali Raja from Verity for joining me and discussing this approach to, you know, looking at these inputs, looking at what management teams are doing, what are their actions versus what are their words. And that to me is, you know, the most important idea to take away from this. Again, I've spent over 20 years looking at 
these various data sets, insider transactions, management changes, buybacks, you know, again, we mentioned institutional flows. And what, what has always struck me is how often these are ignored by the sell side, among other people, you know, within the you know, research stratosphere. And even when I'm looking at short research, you know, which I find amazingly interesting, I feel like anybody who's going to take the time to spend hours and hours and countless hours digging into a company looking for negatives, you know, I find that interesting. And quite often, though, I find, you know, within that short focused research that the takeaways they get from the insider behavior is often uh, wrong. They'll either ignore things because it doesn't fit within their theory, or they'll take something that is really innocuous and amplify it. You know, so to me, the way to, you know, get investment edge, you know, outside of the fundamental data, outside of the alternative data that's so popular, to find a differentiated view is by looking at all of these uh, management actions and, you know, what they could mean about the stock's valuation. This episode of Differentiated with Ben Silverman was brought to you by Verity. Verity designs software that helps over 360 asset managers discover one-of-a-kind insights, streamline research workflows, and manage fund research productively. To learn more or begin a free trial, visit verityplatform.com. This episode of Differentiated with Ben Silverman was edited, mixed, and scored by Calvin Marty. 